This is Conversations About Foster Care. In this first season, join our conversation about transitions, removal, and coping with change, trauma, and grief. The system is made up of all of us, so let's talk about how we can do better by our kids. Hi everyone, it's Kurt. Hi everyone, it's Marika. Did you notice that Kurt puts the R in his name now because he fears he won't be understood? People ask me, you know, someone asked the other day, you know, do you have an American accent now? And I said, no, why would I have an American accent? I've lived here for three years and I don't intend to have an American accent, except for the one thing where when you go to order a coffee, they say, what's your name? And if I say Kurt, people go, what? What do you say? So I have to say Kurt, and I've gotten used to saying that now. And even when I go back to Australia and order a coffee, Ooh, I, 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 say, I say Kurt now. Australians will be the first to rip on you for that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so everyone, today we're going to be talking about, um, we've talked a lot in this series about the kids, obviously, and about all the various people in the world of foster care. But we're going to bring it back today to the foster family and how a transition can affect the extended family and the community that a foster family may have around them and the grief um, that it's, you know, when you ask your family to rally around you and to love on this child and everyone gets invested as though it's forever because it might be. And regardless of an outcome, every child deserves to be loved in a forever way, in a you're my everything way. That's what we think anyway. Um, so then what happens when that child transitions and you've got grandparents, cousins, friends, an entire community it's not just you guys that have had the loss it's all these people yeah and I think you know we've set out on this podcast to talk about the things that don't get talked about and this is certainly a big one Mm. in the sense that in foster care you know very little gets said about those those friends who have invested in in our kiddo and and grandparents and you know extended family of our own in our case that all live in Australia there's some people that didn't even meet our kiddo and we had her for a long time and that is really crappy for for us for kiddo for those extended family members who you know our own siblings who really wanted to be a part of kiddo's family uh, ended up not really even meeting her and that's a weird weird thing they spoke on FaceTime to her a lot and were well aware of uh, you know her story and what was happening and kept up to date but it's a hard thing to then essentially then grieve or understand the grief you know how do you where do you put that grief where do you how do you grieve someone you never met one thing we did do was we throughout our entire fostering journey from the time we decided that we were going to start training right through to a kids removal is we had a little e-newsletter um, that we sent out to our kind of immediate family and very close friends and it just updated them kind of very much from an emotional standpoint I guess on our point of view and where it was all at and, and a lot of the case files and what we're up to with the case and things legal that, things yeah things that were private and that we didn't really want discussed outside of our immediate family but we felt were important for some of our core people to know just to just so they could help support us um, and I think I certainly got a, I, I found that a really useful thing to do. I felt like they found that useful in terms, a lot of, you know, as Kurt said, a lot of our people are far away. So it helped them to hook into our story and know how to support us and kept everyone on the same page because the one thing that you can expect in foster care is the unexpected. And our particular case was a real roller coaster. We had, we had weeks where it looked like she was going to stay forever and then within a fortnight it would look like she might be removed the next day and um so just a a way to not have to make 
you know, 20 emotional phone calls was that e-newsletter helped us. It's really a selfish thing. It helped me to not have to repeat the same information, which was often hard to talk about. Hmm. Uh, Another thing um, that I understand and know about because of a friend of ours that we met through foster care, they have a, a, a small child in foster care that they looked after and they have a biological daughter and the so and and the biological daughter is the same age as the foster child so they essentially have grown up as twins and they've had this foster child for a long time haven't they yeah similar to i think even longer probably years years so and from pretty much birth so this child has grown up uh, with this family, with a sibling who um, the parents say are inseparable. They're so cute and, and twin-like in the way they behave. And <laughs> they would if they grew up in the same age together. I think twins are a, a wonderful dynamic where two kids grow up and experience things at the same time. So it's a, it's a very close uh, link that they have. And that case at the moment is looking uncertain as to whether the foster child will be reunified with their birth family. But again, something that no one ever talks about is that you then got a birth sibling, sorry, not not a birth sibling to the foster kid, but a birth uh, kid who has to grieve the loss of their sibling if they're going to get transitioned. So you've got to look after the needs and the emotional kind of uh, trauma of the foster child to get transitioned. But also what about the sibling kid that doesn't get any support from the system who no one ever really talks about or thinks about how do they deal with losing their brother or sister that's a it's a big deal um and we you know like i said we're still unsure about how that case will play out but it's a it's an interesting dynamic that i think needs to be talked about and considered um in some of these things clearly it, it the system would never consider those those needs of that that child but the parents certainly do have to look after that and that's a it's that's a, a big challenge, I imagine, for a lot of people out there. And if that's something you guys uh, have experience with, we'd love to hear from you. One aspect uh, we want to talk about are the, the unsung heroes of foster care, I think, and that's the grandparents. Um, you know, our parents, we're extremely close with both sides of our parents. And, um, you know, they didn't ask to go into foster care. It was our crazy idea and our passion uh, to follow that path, but they all got on board very quickly and they they loved on kid, you know, with absolutely everything inside of them. And um, what's tricky about that is, well, also in our case, there's uh, I think we can talk about this a little bit, kid is a female and uh, there's only boys on both sides. So <laughs> kid was the first this granddaughter. The first granddaughter yeah. So that was, you know, that's a big thing and lots of pink things got sent mm. and, and, and she was spoiled rotten and they, you know, despite the fact that they were, they're based in Australia, they came over, um, flew over a couple of times, flew over a couple of times and spent like long periods of time when they would visit for several weeks at a time and made tremendous amount of memories. One of kids first words was the name of my mother that she calls her and, um, my mother would FaceTime every single day and kid knew exactly who it was and would interact and eat meals with her and they'd chat on. <laughs> so that bond was incredibly strong. And so we felt a huge duty of care to how we managed the grief of our beautiful parents who'd been nothing but supportive. And, you know, they were very much in the trenches with us. When she was removed, it happened in a way that none of them could get to come over and say goodbye so there was that initial thing for them which felt really traumatic that they couldn't 
come and hold her one last time but at the same time they're also managing their grief and explaining it to their friends and community who just like any grandparents they're walking around the planet with photos of all their grandkids and suddenly there's one that isn't around anymore and how they how they unpack that and feel that and um we're lucky our parents are very close to not only us but to each other and so they've hopefully talking about it but I certainly feel a lot of guilt that we're dragging not dragging I mean they're all they loved her so much I think they feel nothing but gratitude but at the same time I do feel guilt that we've kind of inadvertently dragged our beautiful family along for a pretty pretty rugged ride it's that thing of you know we've got each other to talk to about this and we were thank you know yeah um (laughs) but we you know we're here in the system and and understood everything about it and often with the grandparents it was they were in another country and they were getting told secondhand the information but all they wanted to do was love on kids so while we were having the effect of you know shock and dismay and everything about what happened in our situation they were having that tenfold and without real understanding of why uh, a lot of the time so you know ricky's mum would call us and just be you know really sad i just miss kid and of course we did too but you know it's that where do you put that grief you know and bless her heart she would always you know be, be saying to us you know does the judge know this or does the judge know that and and you know she would really try <laughs> my to, mom's a real proactive person yeah, yeah. have you talked to the police you know like <laughs> can you call such and such i've been googling <laughs> yeah, yeah you know but we do want to thank those guys and um, they did you know love kiddo with everything inside of them and that's all we could ask really we also want to talk about how, I mean, actually circling back a little bit, I guess, we, were, we spoke earlier about uh, the sibling of a, of a foster child in uh, care, but also just kids in general in families. We just happen to have um, a lot of nieces and nephews. We each have several siblings and most of them have had several kids. And so we have, we're auntie Plus and uncle. Friends, there are friends of ours in New York City that knew Kiddo's story and were uh, so on board and, you know, best friends with... Yeah, they call us auntie and uncle and, and Kid had that kind of relationship with a lot of our peers. They were like aunt and uncles to her. There was her. a friend of ours whose daughter said, you know, I'm going to call Kiddo my sister. You know, she was so cute. She's she's four years old. Probably Not now, five. she's six. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but she, at the time, um, you know, was just so, so invested and so, you know, like, again, there's another person who has grieved that loss um that she won't see kiddo again and Mm. we've had conversations with her because she is older about what that's about and how to deal with those feelings we Um, were we made the decision based on advice and everything we've read and and looked at to be completely transparent with all the kids in our life and all of them that we've been 100 percent honest with have been incredibly accepting and helpful in how they've processed it i mean for all of these kids our kiddo was a cousin to them and they loved on her as such and then when it came time to we knew that she was transitioning we we explained as they already knew that kid uh was from a family where her parents weren't able to take care of her and so we were going to be kids mum and dad until they got better or until we worked out what was going to be best for kid and then when we knew that she was going to be removed we said to all the kiddos um that someone in her family had was able to look after her and so she was going to get to grow up with her family and that's a, a really great thing and they all agreed and a few of them made comments such as well I'll really miss her or I wish she could stay with us forever 
and we were very open to having those conversations and saying yeah we'll miss her too and that's okay that you feel that way and um we'll all be thinking of her and loving her even if we don't see her anymore and all of the kiddos and I'm talking in the vicinity of like 11 to 15 kids all age between the age of two right up to my oldest nephew is um 17 oh my goodness um they all were able to process that at each of their age appropriate levels and and able to I mean they all knew they could talk to us about it I remember being back in Australia we went for a visit back to Australia not long after kid was removed it was probably well three months and um and so it had been a trip we'd planned for over a year and we had thought that kid would be coming back to Australia for the first time to meet a lot of people that had known her on FaceTime and they were all very attached and we we hoped that that would be quite a beautiful holiday of family memories and um, of course it was laced with quite a lot of poignancy and difficulty for us as we tried to manage everyone's expectations and grief throughout that trip but I remember my nephew who at the time was four and he just said to me we were just standing together and he just looked up at me and out of nowhere said Aunty Ricky, do you miss Kid? And I said, yeah, I'm, I miss her every day. And he was like, great. Are we having chicken nuggets for lunch? <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like, and and what's lovely is my mother has always talked about kiddo with her other grandchildren and, um, and they feel really ha- able to talk to her about her and there's photos of her up on the wall and, and it's, they've learnt now what a foster kid is and they've learnt about how you can, oh, I'm getting a little bit emotional, you can love someone who maybe wasn't born into your family and you can also love them enough to let them go and we um we had one of our beautiful friends uh, say to me it was a very unexpected moment and it was something that has really stuck with me she was talking about her daughter who'd who'd been a real daily person in kiddo's life they'd formed an incredible bond and were very much like you know sisters or cousins and and this uh little girl was six when kiddo was transitioned and um her mum said to me, you know, thank you guys for involving us in the way you have. And that really surprised me because at the time we were all grieving and it was very hard and I thought it was odd that I was being thanked. But she said, you know, my daughter now has a real concept of what, first of all, what a foster kid is and what it means to open your home and your heart to someone who might need you and a social conscience and now has a really healthy dialogue about what all that stuff is. And she's also learned a lot about loving someone and being brave enough and um, compassionate enough to know that perhaps even if they're not with you in your family anymore that you can still love them and and have been a real influence in their life and I was so blown away by her compassion to say that to us because we felt as I've said before (laughs) I feel quite guilty at times that we've dragged a lot of our friends and family through this experience even though I I don't think any of them <laughs> think I should feel that way, of course, mm. but I do feel bad that we've we've caused pain to people. But that's what, you know, you were going to talk about that quote from our other friend. Uh, yeah, a good friend of ours um, commented, I think it was when she had lost her dad and made a comment on Facebook, which I thought was amazing. And she just said that uh, grief is the tax you pay on love. The bigger the love, the more tax to pay. <laughs> yeah. And the love that you have for a kiddo is pretty, yeah, paying some tax, but that's okay. <laughs> yeah, one of our one of our family members um, did struggle with the concept of what to do with um, their kids. They 
felt that at the age of uh, their eldest kid at the time, he was struggling with some concepts of uh, you know preschool and and daycare and and being left by his parents and and they struggled with what to tell him about how what it, what had happened with our kiddo um, because. Again, they never met. They're in Australia and they had talked on FaceTime and whatever, but they really struggled with what to do with respect to transparency like we were talking about. And they decided that the best thing for their family was to not explain um, to their son what had happened with Kido. And, you know, that's a very tricky thing for everyone to deal with because we essentially were very unsure about how to talk to their son about you know, if he had any questions or whatever. Um, and it was a really tricky time, but it, it is, you know, interesting to try and muddle through, you know, well, what if certain parents or extended family members of your own want to deal with it in a way that's not full transparency like we had with everyone else? I think that really challenged us too because we knew from experience with all the other kids in our life that the option of just being truthful and age-appropriate really worked and certainly made it easier for everyone to walk through that grief together. We really respected their right to to handle the situation the way that they felt right for them. And I you know, think no one knows what's best for kids uh, more than their parents. So when they told us that they had decided that they didn't want to talk about kid um, within their family and what had happened and they, were, they asked us to not bring her up, um, we immediately, our first instinct was to say, yep, of course, we'll, we'll do whatever you guys think is best. But it was a challenging thing for us to process because we didn't agree necessarily that that was how we would have handled it. And we also felt that that in a time of pretty thick grief for us made us feel like we couldn't be, well, I can only speak for myself, but I felt a sense of not being able to be myself or be able to, yeah, be honest about what we were going through with that part of our family. Um, and up until then, it had felt like we were all in it together. And then in that part of it, it, it didn't. It suddenly felt like we were being asked to put our grief into another room or something. And I, I definitely found that really hard. The trouble with putting something, with not being honest with kids is I believe kids are really instinctual creatures and they know, you know, inherently when the grown-ups are kind of <laughs> sitting on something. And kid was a, a person that is on the wall in those kids' grandparents' house and is a, is a person that they know that Marika and Kurt have a kid and that's kid. And, I mean, they never met her, but she was a person that they knew existed. And kids are bright and intuitive and I feel that we need to trust them to know in an age-appropriate way, of course, the truth. Because the trouble with not telling the truth is you're saying that there's something sort of, it's a, it's a strong word, but I, I, you know, inherently shameful about that. And I get a bit mama bear when it comes to that stuff because I, I would hate to think that any kiddo of mine would feel shame about being a foster kid, would feel shame about their story, would feel shame about anything that it's not fair it's not fair that they should feel that anything of theirs is not to be talked about and you know we're still we're still going to work through some of this stuff with our family in the future if we ever bring um more foster kids into our home because 
those kids, if we have more of them, will know very much about keto or, you know, we would always be transparent and I would hate to think in a playground or a, a, a backyard in the future amongst the cousins or whatever, there's a talk about, you know, our former daughter and then other kids are like, well, she just like, it's just it's a breeding ground for an accidental inadvertent comments to be made or things that um, something to be potentially said that- make a child feel bad. Yeah, something to be said that where a child's been told a piece of information that's potentially insensitive to the foster kids or the foster system and then say uh, that the kids are older and that we've got a, a foster kiddo who is older and they're having conversations and a phrase or something gets reiterated that makes our foster kid feel like he's... Less than. Less than, yeah. I think the main issue with that family is that they felt fearful that their son would question his own uh, permanency to you know stay in that family and that they thought that by explaining to him what had happened with our kiddo he might fear that he might get taken away from his parents that was i believe the main fear so you know with a with a child who's you know walking and talking you can gently introduce the concepts of like i said um kid had a mummy who wasn't able to take care of her and so that's why Kurt and Marika are going to be her parents and then if a, a natural question comes up that's well where would I ever leave you you can say no we will be your forever family because we are well and we are able to take care of you and we will always take care of you yeah so it's look it's a real minefield with other kiddos in the family and and we'd love to hear from other people if you've had positive or negative experiences I know that a lot of foster families have negative experiences with their extended family, you know, comments, I read in forums, comments at barbecues or ways to explain things. And we've certainly felt really grateful our extended family have been champions. But that was one particular situation that was um, very confronting and, and tricky and we're still working it out. Um, certainly if we have more foster kids in the future, I don't want to feel like those kiddos have to feel ashamed of their story or that we have to cover up anything or that we'd have to not talk about kid you know again in future trips yeah we certainly we certainly don't want to be saying to our kid that that we don't want to talk about things with it because it's again that's the direct thing about shame you you don't want to say to a kid your story is to be is to be shameful about no absolutely not one of the ways to ritualise saying goodbye to your foster kid, or this is just something we did anyway, um, was we had, I, I guess it was a farewell party, though we didn't we didn't say it was that way, and certainly kid was not aware that that's what it was. Um, she was a toddler at the time, and she had, you know, some vocabulary, a great understanding, and about 40 or 50 words, but she was still largely pre-verbal. So we just messaged, like, our core community in New York, the people who had been backups for our kid, who had babysat her, who had been essentially aunts and uncles and, and very close family friends. And we said, look, we're going to have an open day. Please just pop over. We asked everyone, I don't know if this was selfish or not, but we asked everyone um, to kind of keep a lid on their sadness and their sorrow to um, just make it a nice, loving, happy day so that she didn't really pick up on it being a farewell. And pretty much all of our community were really great that came. And look, if there had been a camera in the room that day, you would have thought it was kid's birthday because it just felt like a really lovely family barbecue. We had food out and she was running around doing dress ups and playing and but it gave everyone an opportunity to, Give to her hold, last hug. yeah, just hold her and have a little photo and um, just love on her one last time, and for them to make peace with 
saying goodbye in a quiet, happy way. Yeah, there was you know, only moments of, you know, that squeeze of a hug that people kind of, you know, had a little shake or whatever it was that you felt. But She just um, had a great day. She had a great day. <laughs> I think it's, you know, it, we, we noticed that we directly after keto transitioned permanently, um, we happened to have a, a work opportunity that took us out of the city and it was probably a great thing for us at the time because we just wanted to get out of the city. You look around the city, you know, we live in New York City and the subway and the parks, the local parks, and you look at She's everywhere. <laughs> She's at the grocery store and the playground and all the places and, of course, her room is just sitting there looking like she just walked out of it. So, um, we... so getting out of the city and, and being consumed with, you know, uh, work and, and the people that we, um, we had with us at the time uh, out on, you know, on the work we were doing um, really all gathered behind us and, and, and supported us in that time. So we kind of had that catharsis of just being ripped away from our everyday for the minute to be distracted and stuff. But, but we do look back and notice that we kind of left after that farewell party, we kind of left our core community alone in New York City to kind of grieve without us. And I, um, I came back to New York like a month later and I had brunch with a heap of, you know, some beautiful friends and people who'd been uncles to kid. And um, we were all crying within five minutes over our eggs and I realised that for them we had just upped and left and they'd had a month of, you know, these were people that babysat her and saw her regularly. She'd been part of all of our lives for so long and we probably didn't think about the, again, the ripple effect it was going to have. Because on... interestingly, just talking about this now, interestingly, we did the same thing that we mentioned before our other family members did. We asked them to come to something and not feel the emotions that they were feeling. Yeah. And that um, just shows, like, you know, we're all trying to muddle through this, but maybe that was the wrong decision for them. It was definitely the right decision for Keto because we didn't want to upset her or have her feel like there was issues or whatever Yeah, we was. wanted the transition to feel loving and fun and positive and not not like a big sad thing that was happening but isn't it funny that yeah we did ask them to not show their grief and i think that's goes to show that we're all you know in retrospect though what we could have or should have done perhaps is then the following you know had a had an open day where they did come and show their grief like a (laughs) way don't say awake <laughs> but you know like a yeah a night where the where the grown-ups get the booze out and just have a bit of a sob um and certainly we've had a few little opportunities to do that with those people and um we're gonna have some catch-ups closer to christmas where we hope to just touch base with them because we're so profoundly grateful to our core community in new york and um they're the family you make and we've we've got a really good one yeah So thanks for listening, guys. That's our episode for today. Please give us a five-star review or say something nice about us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. The more comments and five-star ratings we get, the more iTunes wants to share that podcast around in the popularity of uh, the internet. So that'd be a big help. And if you don't have a positive uh, message for us, we'd still like to hear from you. We've called it Conversations About Foster Care because we are truly wanting to have a conversation about all this stuff, even if it's challenging or hard to hear. You can email us at conversationsaboutfostercare at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. We encourage you to make an inquiry about becoming a foster parent. Because every kid deserves to be loved unconditionally, even when their future is uncertain. We're the grown-ups. 
we can do that. And every kid is worth it. Thank you.